Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I love you. I'm excited that, that you're here. I'm excited to be in church today. Amen. I'm excited for a few different reasons. One, just that we're, we're here together. But two, because tomorrow starts Serve Week. And so it's going to be an incredible week where a group of people from our church family are taking time to, to do what we do. It's one of our values. We serve. That's, that's just who we're servants. That's what we do. We serve. So we're going to take all next week. We're going to be serving at Chestnut Mountain Ranch, which if you've been here for the last month or so, we've been talking a little bit about this incredible ministry where we're going to be taking all of Serve Week to spend our time. It's a ministry that I've really just become more familiar with over the last year or so. Just an amazing, amazing work that God is doing there in the lives of these young men. So I'm, I'm excited about that. If you haven't signed up, it's not too late. We have a table in the lobby. Someone will be there to answer questions, you know, where it is, when you can come and serve, all those kinds of things. But I'm extra excited because the person who started Chestnut Mountain Ranch and the person who serves as the executive director is here with us this morning. He's going to be bringing the word and sharing from, from his heart. He's going to be a blessing to you this morning if you're not familiar with his story or what exactly is going on at Chestnut Mountain Ranch. He is a great leader, he has an inspiring story, and he has a passion to have an impact on young men and to advance the kingdom of God. So would you welcome the executive director of Chestnut Mountain Ranch, Steve Finn. It's good to be here today. Uh, I usually show up with my family, but... We have got, uh, my wife and I recently adopted a young man, and he just went on a missions trip uh, to Arkansas, and um, the, the youth are sharing their experience at their church, our church this morning up in Morgantown. So we had to split ways this morning, and uh, so I apologize, but I do want to introduce my family. I think we've got a little picture of them, um, if we could tee that up. Um, Maybe, there we go, okay. So th this was taken, uh, so that's my wife Dawn, and uh, that is uh, my son Hunter, uh, the tall one, and he is a sophomore at WVU. He is going into uh, criminology and he wants to become a police officer. Now I was a cop in Atlanta for 12 years, so um, we kinda got this blue bloods thing starting to form in our family. So. Uh, and my little son, Garrett, uh, he is 14 years old, and he loves skateboarding. And then our new son, Anthony, we adopted him about eight weeks ago. The adoption was final. Um, he's been with us for almost a year now, but it took a while to get that adoption wrapped up. And then my daughter, Abby, who is moving into her senior year at WVU in forensic science, and she is now interning She's on a three-month internship down in Atlanta with the agency that I worked at. So she's on their crime scene unit down there, and you know, I th she's having a blast. Uh, she's not shredding documents. She's she's they they threw her in the field, and so she's getting to um, go to murder scenes and and all these high-profile crimes. And you know, I thought, okay, this is going to make or break her, but she's she's loving it. So she's. Uh, 
Uh, she is getting to experience, and she's getting to meet a lot of the old timers that knew me, and um, which is pretty fun. So she'll be back next weekend. So that, that's my lineup. That's our. Um, so we live in uh, we live up in Morgantown on 300 acres, and we've got a ministry called Chestnut Mountain Ranch. But before I get into all the the ins and outs of what the ministry is, I, w- I want to give you guys the the backstory because that's where. That's, that's where God is. That's where God is. You know, I, you know, I didn't just wake up one day and think, okay, I'm gonna start a children's home. Um, I didn't have a, a, a light on a path that said, you know, leave and follow me. This was, this was a process over my life that got us here to where we're at today. So I was born in West Virginia. Uh, my family roots go back to the 1800s. Um, actually, 1785 on my mother's side. So we've got these deep roots. Most of my family were um, coal miners, moonshiners, uh, timber cutters, and um, got an interesting storyline. And so my father was the first one on either side of the family to get a degree. In fact, he got two degrees from WVU, and he, um, he was a chemical engineer, and he did pretty well. And so I was growing up, we, we had moved up to Ohio at that point. My dad was uh, working for a big uh, oil company called Diamond Shamrock, based out of Texas. But we were living in Ohio, and um, he was young. He, he was 51 years old. He was, he's my age, I'm 51, and he got cancer. And so over the next two years, I just saw uh, my hero whittle away. He got pancreatic cancer, and, and so I was 11 years old, I was 12 years old, I was 13 years old when he passed. And it took two years for this uh, horrible disease to take him out, but what I saw during that time was, as tough as that was, something radically changed me. I saw, um, I saw a man that was used to Sunday mornings uh, letting his wife and children go out the door to church while he cut grass or changed the oil on the old Maverick. or He always had something to do on Sundays. Church was for other people. And he never had an interest in church. He was a good provider. He was a good father. Uh, we, we had a great relationship, but he never, he never spoke spiritual truth into my life until he got cancer. And God got a hold of him in a real way. And I saw, I saw this man, um, and I was paying attention. Um, I saw this man, as, as he, was, he was being riddled with cancer, his, his spiritual life was growing dramatically. And he would pull me to his bedside sometimes, and, and he would share scriptures that he had found with me. In fact, <clears throat> he pulled me aside one evening, and he said, I'm ready to get baptized. He said, well, you, are you ready to get baptized? I said, yeah, I am. I understand what it means. I'm, I was 13 years old at the time. And so the last father and son event that we did together, we got baptized together at about 10 o'clock on a weeknight. Uh, it took three men to baptize him because he was so weak. And, um, and I thought, God's probably gonna heal him. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child. I'm, I'm thinking... This is it, this is my, he, he was obedient, he took this step, and then two weeks later he passes away. And so my teen years kind of went into a tailspin. My mom had to find work, we moved to Atlanta, 
Uh, we sold everything that we had, and, and, and life just turned upside down. So there I am in Atlanta, Georgia in the early 80s, and Atlanta's exploding, and my mom's having to work a lot, and I'm just kind of this latchkey kid, and I'm mad at God. I'm mad at God. And I, it, you know, you took my father, and, um, and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't put the pieces together. And I actually moved out of the house when I was 17 years old. My mom, <laughs> I think she was as tired of me as I was of her. And she emancipated me and I, I moved out when I was 17 years old. She always says, she goes, I loved you during those years, but I didn't like you very much. And uh, so I moved out when I was uh, 17 years old and, and I was still in high school. I, I worked at McDonald's full time. I had my own apartment and somehow I got through those years. Somehow God was watching over me and protected me. Um, kept me from getting a record. Uh, you know, I wasn't uh, always this uh, law-abiding citizen. I was, I was testing the world on for all it's worth. And um, I got through high school and I got into college and, and I can remember, it was my sophomore year, I was at the University of Georgia and I had no direction. My compass, was, my compass needle was bouncing all over the place. And, and I got down on my knees one night and I realized man, I am not pleasing my heavenly father. I am not pleasing my earthly father. What am I doing? What, where am I going with all this? And I sat silent in my room and I, I remembered, I think I've got a Bible somewhere. And I, I, I opened this old shoe box and I pulled out this Bible that had been given to me on the night that uh, my father and I were baptized together and I'd never cracked this thing open and the pages were stuck together and I'm, I'm kind of pulling things that, you know, and I'm thinking, God, I don't even know where to begin. And um, I landed, I want to share this verse with you because this, this is where I landed. And, you know, and uh, God revealed this to me. And I, I opened the, my Bible and I landed in Ephesians 2 and it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm gonna read that one more time. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I thought, okay, so I'm created for good works. What does that mean? And I, and I, and I went through this season of prayer. I didn't have any uh, men coming into my life. I didn't have a mentor. I, did, I, was, I, was, I was sitting there alone in my room and I thought, God, I wanna know what this means. If I'm created for good works, I feel like I've got no skill set. I feel like I've got no direction, but I'm gonna start going to church. I'm gonna start reading your word. I'm gonna start praying, and I pray, that, I pray that you show up. And he did. And I started getting into a local church there in Athens, Georgia, and I began seeking the Lord, and he began responding. And, and I began feeling this calling, this, this um, and I don't even know where it came from, maybe because I used to run from the cops, but I wanted to be a cop. And uh, in fact, uh, I can remember uh, when I left the agency in Athens and moved to Atlanta and, and joined the agency down there. Uh, I'd been up there for about three years and I, uh, there, was a, there was a sergeant that was on the force and I said, hey, um, 
Sergeant Gallagher, I said, do you remember, do you remember that night, you know, and I kind of described this uh, scene where there was this foot chase and all this chaos, and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 that was a crazy night. And he said, wait a minute, you didn't work for us then. And I just smiled at him. And um, so <laughs> we kind of had a laugh about that. So, but God took, he, he, he drew me into law enforcement, and... Um, and I applied and I got on, and for the next 12 years, it was a wild ride. Uh, I loved what I did. I got to be a detective for a few years. I got, uh, you know, I, it's funny how you think you want to get into something and you fight and fight, fight, and you apply and you get, take the test and you get in. So I got to be a detective, and about two years into it, I, I noticed that I, uh, waste was coming out, and I was thinking, man, I got to get back on the streets. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, just go where I don't want to go. So... I, I, I decided to get back on the uniform division and I got on a street crimes unit. And the last few years I was on, I worked with, I got, had the privilege to work with the FBI gang unit. We worked with a gang unit in our agency. We, I got to do some undercover work and grow my hair out and, and grow a beard and you know, buy, truck, buy drugs out of an old pickup truck. And um, it was, uh, you know, I always look back on those days and I said, like, man, I should have taken pictures of that. because I. I, I just got stories. I don't have a lot of pictures. Um, but those years were phenomenal. And I got to meet my wife and we were growing and we, uh, we, we had two children. And, but God was stirring something in me during those years that I felt like there was something more. You know, originally I thought, okay, I'm gonna be a cop for the rest of my life. This is, this is what I was made for. Um, I got to see some awesome things while I was an officer. I got to share, believe it or not, the love of Christ while somebody was sitting in my back seat and we're on our way out to the county jail. Um, there are moments when somebody's at their lowest that they're the most attentive. And so, and during those years, I saw, I saw a lot of tragedies. I saw kids ending their life early for a stupid decision on a Friday night, or I saw children going to jail for the remainder of their youth when they didn't have to. And, and these, these were fatherless homes, these were parentless homes, and these kids were being drawn into the gang life because they felt love. I mean, let's face it, we all want to feel love. At some level, we want to feel love from our parents, we want to feel love from somebody. And these kids were chasing things that they didn't need to chase. And I would come home from work and my wife and I would have these what if conversations. What if we did more? What if we, uh, what if we started working with the youth? What if we got into full-time ministry? And I had no idea what I was talking about. But I can remember, you know, you gotta start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. And, and um, we were sitting in church one Sunday and somebody got up to do the announcement. It's a, a lady, and this is a big church. There's over a thousand uh, 1,500 um, at the time, and so there was, um, which is probably small for Atlanta, but uh, this lady got up to do the announcements, and she's going through the, uh, this event's coming up, and, da, da, and she said, oh, by the way, we need help in the nursery, and my wife elbows me, and I said, I'm not working in the nursery. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm this cop, I'm on the, on the gang unit, I'm doing all these fun things, you know, I'm not gonna... I felt like, you know, kindergarten cop. I'm not gonna be, uh, I, I can't. And she's like, well, why not? And I said, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna do that. And, she's, and so we're having like this whispering argument um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sanctuary, in the, in the pew. So 
you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit wears a dress. So I said, okay, <laughs> we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And uh, for two years, I changed diapers and wiped snotty noses and worked down in the basement um, and, and just took care of other people's kids. At least once a month we did this. And, and it was during that time, you know, God changes, God can work through the, when you're down in the trenches, he can work through it. And I can, what I'm trying to communicate is here, like start somewhere. And so that, that, um, that season began to open my eyes to the value of serving the least of these, serving others. And my wife and I started talking about doing some kind of youth ministry during that season. And we didn't know what it looked like, but we began paying attention and we began like, like let's, let's check some things out. Let's go on this missions trip. Let's, Let's put our foot in the pool and see what God does with it. And we were out to eat one Sunday, and, and, and I'm talking, this didn't happen just overnight. Like, we didn't just step up and say, hey, we're going to West Virginia to start a children's home. We were, we were out to eat, and it was, after, it, was a, it was a Mother's Day, so it was Sunday. Um, we couldn't find a restaurant that didn't have uh, vacancy. We finally found a Ruby Tuesdays at the Mall of Georgia. We walked in, they had one seat left, we sat down. And I noticed a cop buddy of mine sitting across the restaurant with his kids and he's getting up and I hadn't seen him in a long time. We'd gone to the academy together and he's, he's walking out and I said, hey Joe, which precinct are you at? And uh, I haven't seen you in a while. And he said, oh, you didn't hear. He said, I left the force. He said, I'm working for this Christian children's home now uh, up in North Georgia. He said, I'm a house parent. I said, what's a house parent? He said, well, I, I live in this house. There's all these homes on the property. And I've, I'm responsible for seven lives and we were, we're raising these children. And he said, you need to come check it out. And so he, he leaned over and he wrote uh, his phone number down on my, uh, my daughter's uh, kitty menu and crayon. And I thought, this is it. This is, I gotta check this out. And so my wife and I, we called, we went up, we fell in love with Eagle Ranch. Eagle Ranch has been there for now 40 years. It's a children's home up in North Georgia. Um, it's one of the biggest and best programs in the country. It's near a very affluent area. There's like the Falcons training campus just down the road. Uh, but here's this beautiful ministry that was founded in the early 80s by a young man out of Auburn, uh, University of Auburn, or Auburn University, sorry. He was a baseball player and, and God tapped him on the shoulder in the early 80s and he came to North Georgia to start a children's home. And here's this beautiful established ministry that we were drawn to. And I, my wife and I both, we kind of had this aha moment. Let's put our application in. And so we did. And we were hired as house parents and we committed to a three-year stint on a handshake. And, and I thought being on a gang unit would have prepared me for anything. Uh, so we had seven boys in our house for three years and we were responsible for these young men. And because of my law enforcement background, they, were tending, they tended to shuffle some of the tougher kids into our house. Um, we had a wild ride. And it was one of the, it was the toughest three years, but it was the most impactful three years on our marriage. We saw God not only restoring these young men, but he was restoring families. He was stopping generational curses. And... And here is a program that was privately run, a Christian program that wasn't taking any state or federal dollars, and they were knocking out of the park. 
And so when I was a cop, I'd see these kids, I'd see these kids do something stupid and they'd get adjudicated to something for four to six months and nothing was happening in their home. Certainly nothing was happening in their hearts. They were just being warehoused for a season and putting put right back out on the streets. And so here's this private Christian program that's taken these kids that would statistically be fast-tracking to the judicial system and they're introducing them to a God that loves them. They're introducing them to this Ephesians 2 moment where they've got, hey, you're created for something. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And at first, you know, these kids, you know, you're peeling back layers of, and years of, of um, junk. But we witnessed again and again young men turning their lives around and getting refocused on what their future might have for them. And I said, and my wife and I said, you know what, this is it. Let's take this model somewhere in the country where the need's the highest. Let's do this, let's just drive off a cliff. We're young, we're in our early 30s, let's go after this. And so we had enough money to keep our family fed for about a year. Um, I began circling the wagons with men from our church and they began circling me and speaking in and helping me put together a business plan and a needs assessment. And I began looking at state by state. I'd get the boys out the door to school in the morning and I'd jump in front of that computer and I'd start doing um, uh, statistical research on like dropout rates and suicide rates and opioid rates and all this stuff. And I wanted to see what was happening in every state. And I also wanted to see who was out there who'd gone before us. Because these Christian children's homes, are, they're all over the South. Uh, there's probably 20 of them in Georgia. There's probably more than that in Florida. Uh, they're, very, they're very common down south. But um, as, you, as you get up farther north, they're, they're less and less. And so I remember at West Virginia, my birth state just kept coming up on the, my research. And I, and I began praying about it. And then finally, I, I pulled my wife in. I said, you know, I think God's calling us to West Virginia. Now, I married a southern girl born in Alabama, raised in Texas, met in Atlanta, and she looked at me and she said, um, they've got troubled kids in Florida. I'm not, I'm not moving to West Virginia. And uh, I realized then, okay, we're not equally yoked right now. This, this thing, I need to table this for a season. I need to just kind of reel back, because again, um, I listened to my wife. You know, we're a partnership. We, we, I realized we had to move into this together. If, we, if we're gonna drive off this cliff, we gotta be hand in hand. And so, I backed off for a season and uh, I got quiet and I kept, I kept doing my research, I kept praying about it. But at the same time, she was praying about it. And she, um, she came back to me uh, after several months and she said, you know what, uh, let's do this. Let's do this, let's see if God's in it. Let's give it 12 months. Let's get up there and, and let's go after this and put all our chips on the table. And man, it was like that scene from Rocky when um, Adrian's saying, you know, win. And I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go. And we, we, uh, we packed up that U-Haul and we moved up here. And I thought, man, this is gonna be, well, I don't know what this is gonna be. You know, we moved here and we, we bought a little house in Morgantown and all of a sudden it was, uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't have any, I really didn't know anybody. I had some relatives up here. They all thought I was nuts. 
And uh, so we just began praying that God would open doors. And, and it was tough that first year. I can tell you, it was like this, uh, I liken it to the police academy. It was like the spiritual boot camp that we went through. Um, God was stretching us. He was preparing us. He was teaching me to use new tools on my belt, like prayer and perseverance. But it wasn't fun. Um, I even had a pastor tell me once, uh, somebody said, hey, you need to go talk to this pastor. And I had this pastor tell me once, um, you know, why don't you go back to Georgia where you came from? And I thought, okay, I need to start telling people I'm from West Virginia first. So, but it wasn't fun. And, and we even got down to $25 in our own bank account during that first year. And we were having trouble putting food on the table. And I could not find anybody that would be willing to sell us land to get this started under the pretense that we're gonna do this debt-free, we're not gonna go to a bank. I mean, people just looked at me like I was crazy. And, and we got to that 12th month, and keep in mind, we're broke, I'm exhausted, I've looked at over 20 farms or properties in the region, I have been hammering this thing. I used to spend my uh, free time in, in county courthouses just going through card catalogs to find out you know, who owned this track land and who owned this track land, and I'd do cold calls. And it, it just wasn't a fun season. And I get a call during the last, I told my wife, I said, I think, I think, I think we made a mistake. I think I need, we need to go back to Atlanta. And I think it's, um, I, I must have just misread this whole thing. And I get a call that there's this 224 acre track up in about six miles from downtown Morgantown that just came on the market. And it was on the market for 720,000. There was nothing there. This is back uh, before 2008 when the market crashed. So everything was peaking. Uh, I don't know if you remember back then in the front of the newspaper, there was articles like house sells in five minutes. You know, people were putting for sale signs out and things were just moving quick. And so here's this big track of land that was being sold and developers were looking at it. But this, this gentleman came up to me, this gentleman that um, uh, was a believer, and he said, I heard about your vision, and I wanna see if God's in this. He said, I could sell this tomorrow. I've got guys lined up to buy this, but let's see if God's in it. I'm gonna give you guys first dibs. I'm gonna hold everybody off. And I came home, and it was the first time I told my wife, I said, I, something weird happened today. This guy's giving us, she goes, what are we gonna do? And I said, I, I don't know. I've, I've never really thought this far ahead. We've got about, we had about 88 people on our mailing list, and I thought, well, let's put a letter together. So she helped me draft this letter. And I said, you know what? I don't wanna ask people for money, but they need to know that the property's there. They need to know, I'm not even gonna put the price in there. If God's in this, he's in this. But we put in there that, you know, we found this beautiful track of land. It's got ponds for fishing. It's got waterfalls. There's caves. Great place for boys to be boys. I, I didn't put in there that there were no roads. There's no electricity. Um, there's nothing there, it's just a raw piece of ground. And so, but we did put this letter together, we sent it out, and I mean, most of these people on the mailing list were like aunt so-and-so or friends of my mom from her high school. You know, there wasn't any sugar daddies in the bunch by any means. And it was like a Christmas card list. But we sent it out, and what I didn't realize that, that God had been stirring hearts and people were watching us. And people, God, had, God goes before us sometimes when we're obedient and he, he, he prepares the way for us. And so 
we mailed this thing out and I sat back and, the, and I asked the landowner while we were just in this holding pattern, I said, can I go there and just walk the property and pray over it? And he said, yes, and that was a first as well. So I'd spend hours out there every day, every, a few times a week, just praying over this land saying, God, this is it. If this doesn't happen, I'm gone. I'm packing up and we're going back to Atlanta. And we begin to watch over nine weeks, we watched this miracle unfold. And these chunks started coming in from people that I had never met, people that barely knew me, people that heard about the vision from so-and-so and so-and-so. Some of the Atlanta Falcons players surprised us. Um, in nine weeks, we wrote a check for that land and we had a $400 balance after the closing. Yeah. I always said if there was another attorney in the room, he would have gotten that $400. That's a joke for any attorneys out there. So, there we were. I mean, we went from burning our ships. I mean, what just happened? And now I'm sitting on this property and I'm broke again, uh, but we owned it. We had a mailbox, there was an old trailer on the property. I told my wife, I said, let's move into the, there was an old single wide out there and I said, it'd probably just be for a year or two. And uh, we got into it, seven years later, we're still in the trailer. But uh, that goes, I, I wanted to say that for the, uh, just to show you the grit that my wife carried through this. And, um, and, and when I talk about an old trailer, uh, kind of give you a perspective, we couldn't even sell it when we finally got out of it. We ended up calling the local uh, volunteer fire department and throwing a match in, which was kind of fun. So, <laughs> but there we were. In 2006, when we were getting ready to pull stakes, we had land, and God began to stir. We've never seen a giving season like that since, and it just goes to show what happened during that, that season. Um, who gives to some guy who has nothing? Who gives to some guy who has a vision that, uh, I mean, from, that moved up here from Georgia that has, that's broke and has this crazy vision to build some children's home but has nothing? And so we began to see God move in and this dripping faucet started, and for the, for the past 15 years, we've seen God provide just above what we need. And I, I, and I liken, I think we're always gonna be there. I think God's just keeping us at that threshold to keep us on our knees and to keep praying it in. And where we're at today, we begin to build the roads, we begin to build the infrastructure, there was some other acreage that kinda came into the, to the, to the uh, the, the footprint of this property, it's a rough piece of ground. When you go out there and you'll see it, you understand. I mean, a lot of, everybody that comes through, especially somebody from down south, how'd you guys build this? I mean, I mean that, that boulder next to the house is bigger than the house. You know, and we've been able, it, but God had set this place aside for such a time as this. And God goes before us before we can even see things. And I think about, like even this building, you think about, I don't know, what, a couple decades ago, there was probably... Kids running around here trying to get a Tickle Me Elmo doll at Christmas time, and, and, and even then he knew, God knew that this place was gonna be a place of worship one day, and, and, and he goes before us, and, and we can't see the big picture, but we have to be obedient in the moment and move forward. And so we have been doing this for 15, 16 years now, 
and we've seen almost uh, 70 some kids come through our program. We have a vision to have seven homes built on the property. We just finished the third home. Uh, we're looking for house parents. God's tapping you on the shoulder. Um, we are filling that home with furniture on Wednesday, and that house is virtually done. It's a beautiful house. We're gonna get seven, we have seven boys waiting to get in. We need house parents. We need a couple to step up and, and jump in and help us uh, along the way. Now, I probably scared you off with all my stories, but um, again, it's one of the toughest jobs you'll ever have, but it's one of the most rewarding jobs. We have a vision to build four more homes beyond that. God has been faithful. Um, we've seen miracles take place when we never expected it. Through over the last year and a half, when our finances were uh, all over the map with COVID and donors were running and, 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 and foundations were kind of throttling back their giving, we've seen God show up in ways that we never expected. There was a moment last year, you know, last year our battle cry was give us this day our daily bread. And we would see it again and again and again. And last year we had, um, this is a fun story that I'm going off script with, but we were, we were having a tough month and uh, one of my managers down at our thrift store calls me and he says, hey, we just cleaned out this storage unit. There was this old bicycle in the back and, and um, you know, we usually sell bikes for 10 or 20 bucks at a thrift store. And he says, this one's really, really old. I don't know much about it, but he goes, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna stick it on eBay. Now, we usually don't do eBay uh, because it's just, there's a lot of legwork involved and a lot of packaging and, and, and just a lot of man hours. So I said, yeah, stick it on eBay. Let's see what happens. Anyhow, this bike seven days later closed at $5,600 and it's a bicycle. <laughs> I'm like, sell that thing. So... Some guy in Boston bought it, and he, um, he called us and he said, don't touch this thing, I'm driving down tomorrow. Um, it was like the holy grail of bicycles. I don't know much about bicycles, but you know, God, again, God had stuck that thing in the back of a storage unit, and he pulled it out for a time that we needed some extra funding. So God has been providing for this, this children's home. We've built a beautiful school on the property that we opened up just a little over a year ago. We got it nationally accredited. Um, we oversize the school for our end game. We can put 50 to 60 children in this school, so we're not having to go back and add to the school and add. Um, so now, we're, as far as the whole vision goes, we're past the 50-yard line. We're, we've been here, we have, we've had boots on the ground now for 15, 16 years, and, and we're, we're past the 50-yard line. We, we just have to add boys' homes now as God provides, and we're gonna fill that school up. But more importantly, we're seeing young men coming to know the Lord. We're seeing young men, uh, my, my new son, Anthony, who spent two years at the ranch and things at home fell apart and he needed a home and my wife and I adopted him recently. Here's a man that recently got baptized and now he's going to Arkansas sharing the gospel on the streets, holding up a sign that says free ice cream. I, I still haven't had a chance to sit down with him. He just got back uh, a couple days ago and I just got back from Atlanta, so I got a hear how his story went, but God's moving. God's moving in the hearts of uh, the least of these. He's taking these broken lives and he's turning and he's setting their future for generations to come. Things are gonna be changed. And so, what else are we, I know somebody's gonna raise their hand and say, what about the girls' ranch? So I get that every time. 
we want to do a girl's ranch. Um, I don't want to do it on the same property, you know. We'll have to get Trump to build a wall around. Uh, we, we just, I, I've learned and I've seen other children's homes do it and they've managed it, but it's managing. And I thought, okay, if we're gonna do a girl's ranch, we're gonna do it on separate property and we'll wait on the Lord. We're gonna wait on the Lord to provide for that day and that time. But for now, we're gonna finish this vision. We're gonna get this down the tracks a little further. But as we've been building this children's home, this, um, this crisis has been building over the last five years in West Virginia. And a lot of you guys may have seen it on the news, but there's this foster crisis that's looming. Our numbers have almost doubled in the last five years. And, and, what, and I, so I started thinking, what, what could we do about this? How could we help? I mean, most of our kids have been through the foster system at some point in their lives. Um, they've been adopted, they're currently in foster care. They're being raised by grandparents. And, and, and we've got these, 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 this issue outside of our gates. How can we turn our compass in a direction that's gonna reach more children? And so I've been going over the last couple of years, I started trying to figure this out. I started visiting large Christian foster programs around the country. And we landed on two or three that really are knocking it out of the park. There's one in Atlanta, there's one in West Palm, there's one out in Oklahoma. Um, but they're working with their local state officials and they're knocking it out of the park. They're impacting so many children. So we started thinking, okay, we gotta do something. We can, we can build a foster program where we're taking um, almost like a house parent couple, if you will, because we, we protect our house parents. We give them date nights. We, 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 we protect their marriage so we can get three years out of them because it's a tough job. It's a tough job and there's burnout in that, in that uh, line of work. And if we can pour into their marriage, we can build stability for them to stay long. Those children are gonna benefit from it. And so we started thinking, what if we took that out into the community and found couples that are willing to foster and surround them with people they already know in their church, maybe somebody to give them a date night, somebody that would provide a meal or two a week for them, build a community model that is within a small group, within a Bible study, that's gonna, a village raising the child model. And these other ministries around the country are already doing it. We're not inventing something new, we're just bringing it to West Virginia. So it started mounting over the last year. In fact, uh, we got a visit from the, and this is a whole other story, but we got a visit from the White House, um, uh, was that September of last year. Um, Three people, Secretary Lynn Johnson and a delegate came to kind of look under the hood of Chestnut Mountain Ranch and find out, hey, what's going on here? How are they doing this differently? How are they sustaining in one of the, the, the poorest states in the country? And how are they impacting lives and children and families in a unique way, in a Christ-centered way? And they, 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 at the end of this three-day uh, visit, if you will, they said, we wanna get more involved with this. And so this thing started mounting up for us at a rate that I was um, having trouble keeping all the plates spinning. And so I started praying, God, I gotta bring somebody on. I gotta get a director of foster care uh, to help me take this thing down the tracks because I can't keep the ranch moving and this new project moving. So uh, three weeks ago, we brought in a director of foster care um, and we got a twofer. I got his wife as a, a teacher 
so in our school. So, um, but they actually are here today. So you guys stand up for a second. <laughs> so, yeah, Greg and Jennifer. Uh, Greg is our new director of foster care. Greg is plowing through walls that I have not been able to get through. And, it, and it's, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. So a lot of, the, you know, of course, a lot of the people that we met with back in September uh, lost their job. And they got picked up by some ministries out west to further this foster initiative on a, on a national level, almost like a, champion, a, a battle cry of shape the nation. Let's do things differently. Let's start helping these kids in a different way. And, and we've been pulled into this um, with Chick-fil-A, some of these big foster programs that are attached to, to corporations. And we're having meetings and, and, and there's a lot of traction going on. In fact, Greg's flying out in a week and a half to Denver for a three-day foster event and he's gonna get to meet a lot of people that, uh, that are making things happen. So we're, we're, we, are, we are excited to see what God is gonna do through Chestnut Mountain Ranch and beyond. There's a lot of kids waiting out there. There's a lot of hurting kids that, man, they just want love. They want somebody to come alongside them and say, hey, I believe in you. I'm gonna love on you unconditionally. I'm gonna hold, you, hold your feet to the fire, but we're gonna figure out what your Ephesians 2 is together, and we're gonna launch it. I mean, not all these kids are going to college. Not all these kids are... Some of these kids are so far behind in their schooling that they don't know where to pick it up. We don't know where to pick it up. Well, what are you doing to get a 14-year-old in our program that can't hardly read? But we begin to find out that they do have skills and they do have gifts, and we can pick it up. We can find something for them to do, and they can jump in, and man, there's all types of stuff that they can do to get support a family, love others, learn, to, learn the value of serving, I'm gonna show you guys a quick video that Tony Caridi just filmed for us. Uh, he's actually working on two videos right now. One's gonna be like our staple program video, but this video gives you guys a snapshot of what our house parents, our, our frontline troops are going through. So if you guys, you guys have that teed up? We were not happy being complacent. We were not happy um, where we were. And we're, we're happy we made this choice because really this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to mm -hmm. do this. We felt the call. We never finish our days or our weeks being like, man, I wish I was just doing something else, mm -hmm. and, you know? So many times we get really relaxed and being comfortable in just what we're doing. It's okay to step out of your comfort zone because a lot of blessings you know, do come from that. We have gained immensely more than we'll probably ever give. The goal of the ranch is to provide hope and healing. And our goal is to point them to the one who can give them that hope and healing. If you're called here, um, God is gonna use you in amazing ways. Like we have grown individually since we've been here. We have grown in our marriage, our children that are with us, our family unit has grown. The boys have made us better. They've made us really see like our own hearts and the things that we have needed to work on. And you really have no choice but to deal with your own wounds. And 
you use your, your story to connect with them and to help pull them out of, out of their pit. The confidence that I've gained in, in dealing with all other people, let alone just teen boys, is, has been immense. I've never even heard of this before. The first emotion was fear, crazy, like what am I thinking? We wanted to get out of our comfort zone and really for our children and to, to know that life is not all about them. A lot of times we think we just need to do this on our own. It's just me. And that's not truth. God is with us. He is the one that sustains us. It's not I, but Christ through me. And you have a support system here at the ranch. You're not an island. You have an amazing staff in administration that is going to train you. And don't think you have to have it all together. We're human. Yeah. We make mistakes. As we learned, we had people on call almost 24-7, 365 to help us through our journey here. Mm -hmm. We are really a, a big family that has problems like a, a family does and working through those together. And yes, it looks different. Mm -hmm. We tell the boys all the time, we're not here to replace your family. It's a privilege to be able to come alongside you and join you in that journey. I was just always like mad and angry and I never really smiled. And now it's like, okay, I just need to calm down now and just take a minute and realize what I need to do and look forward from here. I just see this place as a place where I can come and I can learn how to be respectful. I'm not hiding things as much and I'm opening up to the house parents here. They're really helping me. They understand where they can be someday, but they just don't have the tools yet. They're willing to work on the things that they need to work on. And there's not many um, children that could say that they would do that. If anything, um, it has taught our two children to be more compassionate, to be more outward focused, um, and not just think about themselves. And now that they're teenagers, they get it. Like they appreciate what we do and the work that we do. They pray for the boys, they pray for the boys' families. It's great to have our kids around because sometimes it's hard for us to have those conversations, but if our daughter brings a ball up to a boy and says, hey, will you play with me? Mm -hmm. It might soften his heart in that moment when he's had a rough weekend. Even a six-year-old has a valuable part in this ministry, even a three-year-old. Yeah. And it's incredible what they mean to the boys. Since my house parents have like children that are a bit my age, it's just really fun to like connect with them. I think the greatest misconception that people who want to become house parents have is probably that they're gonna change all the boys immediately and that it's gonna be this idyllic setting. And in reality, it's a daily grind in and out. And it's by being persistent and being consistent that these boys' lives are consistently changed. There's not a lot of bells and whistles or a big show to try to get everyone here. It's just really true family-oriented community. We love these boys like they're our own. When you're like-minded and you're all together for a certain mission and a goal, that's what's gonna move something forward. One thing you can tell if you like stay around here for a while is like, no matter what you do or say to them, 
They'll still love you the same. They're all unique and uniquely made in God's image. Different stories, but all just the same. Um, they're all wounded in some way. You will be challenged and pushed beyond what you ever thought possible. You will be rewarded beyond what you ever thought possible. I'm a better parent mm -hmm. because of house parenting. Mm -hmm. And my kids will see that not just now, but into the years to come as they grow older. You know, Austin, in that video, he, he shares, you know, no matter what you do or say, they're gonna still love you. And that's the secret sauce. Um, you know, when I was a cop, we had uh, a traffic code book this thick, you know, and it was just full of laws, and I used to thumb through it and just find obscure laws, but back in Christ's day, they had the same book of laws that they were trying to figure out and, and live by, and Christ was cornered and questioned, and, and he said, there's just two that you need to remember. Love God and love others, and that's it. And if you can figure that out, everything else will fall into place. In Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, he wrote to the Romans in AD 56, in chapter 12, he talks about living sacrifices. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies of living sacrifices. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So as I close this out, I wanna talk about a, a kind of a charge to husbands. Um, we're the leaders of the family. And I think sometimes the, the, the most dangerous thing in our home is not the, the gun on top of the fridge, but it's the easy chair in the family room. And it, we need to move to action. And it may look like, it may look like shouldering up with your spouse and, and, and wiping noses for two years and changing diapers or it might look like becoming a house parent, or it might look like jumping in and uh, on a missions trip and, and furthering. The, the, the least of these and the needs of this community are all around us. It doesn't have to be Chestnut Mountain. It can be somebody right outside uh, the restaurant you're eating at this afternoon. But be, a, be alert and be aware of what God's tapping you on the shoulder to do. And start in your homes, guys. Start in your homes. I've learned that a long time ago. Man, these kids are paying attention to us. I mean, these kids wouldn't be where they're at if they're not watching and acting out and trying to figure out, hey, who was my father? What did he do? What made him tick? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to honor him by acting out the same way? These kids are watching us. And there's simple things that we can do, guys. Uh, we picked up a practice last year 
where when we sit down as a family, and we sit down as a family, uh, especially during the school year, summer's a little bit tough, but we sit down as a family at dinner, and, and, and we went through uh, the book of Luke, and then we jumped into the book of Acts, and we just read a part, like after we got done eating and we talked about each other's days and how to think, I said, okay, guys, just, psh, I'm gonna read. And, and everybody would sit there and, and finish, be finishing up their meal. But I would read something out of uh, every chapter, and I didn't always cover a chapter, but maybe a half a chapter, depending on how long the chapter was. And we'd have a little talk about it, but we wouldn't drag it out, but we would, we would have God's word at our dinner table every night. And another good practice to start with is pray over your kids at night, pray over your wife, maybe even after she's asleep. Um, and I pray over my kids. I pray that God will protect them. I pray for their future spouse. I pray that, I pray for the things that are heavy on their heart for the coming week, it might be a test. But for them to hear that, that hey, dad's, dad's gonna kneel down by my bed tonight uh, and pray and almost expect it is an important thing. And you don't, you can start at any time. I mean, jump in, pray over your kids and let them, hear you, let them hear you praying for the least of these. Let them hear you praying for our leadership in this country. That's, that's gonna stick, it's gonna resonate with them. Let them hear you praying for our police officers. Teach your children to have compassion. You know, in 2 Timothy, the first chapter of uh, 2 Timothy 6 through 8 says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. There it is again, the gift of God um, from Ephesians. God's grace on our lives is a gift. It's not by works, it's so no man can boast. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Move to action, guys. Find some way to get plugged in. Start at your home and move out from there. Your Judea, your Samaria to the ends of the earth but move, and don't let that easy chair in, the, in your family room be your go-to every night. Find a way to get plugged in. I hope you guys can come out and see the ranch. We, 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 um, we thrive on mission teams. We've been able to build most of our structures for 50 cents on the dollar, and, it, and I'm excited to see you guys. How many days are you guys gonna be out here this week? Is it four days? The whole week, okay. So, uh, I'm sorry, I just got back from Atlanta. I've been on a whirlwind trip and um, I, I just, I wasn't sure how many days there were. But yeah, so you guys are gonna be showing up tomorrow morning and hey, we're gonna have fun. We're building a chapel right now. We got a beautiful chapel going up. Um, we're working on that, that boys home. We've got a lot of like general stuff. We had that storms come through uh, this past week and I think there's just stuff that trees that need to be cut up and. Uh, a lot of cleanup that needs to be done. But you'll see the boys around this week. You're gonna get to see the, the homes. Uh, you'll get to see the school. You'll get to see, um, 
just how we do things in our family counseling center and, and, and how everything kind of ties in together. And if you can't make it this week, come out and see us soon. Come out and check us out. You, I mean, it doesn't have to be a missions trip or an open house or um, you can call us and say, hey, I'd just like to come out and see the ranch. I'd like to look under the hood. We're, we're exposed, I mean, we're, we're an open book. We want people to see what God's doing there. And it's amazing. Bring a friend. So, I close with this. God's got a plan and a purpose for every one of us here. And it, you, you learn so much from being around these boys. We're not much different than them. We're lost, we're hurting. Um, that's where I was when I was a teenager. But God pulled me out of the fire and he set my path on solid ground. And he can do the same for you. You just have to be willing to say, God, here am I, send me. I'm tired of what I've been doing. I'm tired of the way I've been living. I'm gonna turn it around. I'm gonna chase you, Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity again to share your story. Um, Lord, I thank you for the, the ability to share your story in this country and to speak freely. Lord, I pray for Chestnut Mountain that you will continue to watch over this ministry and protect us. And I pray that it'll grow bigger than we've ever imagined and, and, and many, many children will be pulled out of the fire, Lord, will be pulled out of uh, a home that is, is tough. Lord, I pray that you will set their feet on solid ground and that they will come to the foot of the cross and along their journey and they will have eyes to see and ears to hear the redemptive power of your son, Jesus. And I pray for anybody here, Lord, that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that this is the day that they will hit their knees, whether right now or maybe when they get home tonight and pull that Bible out of that shelf just like I did many years ago. And say, God, I'm tired of living the way I've been living, Lord. I'm ready to shift gears Father, we love you, we thank you, we pray that we honor you with our footsteps and our words this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.